Well, it's great to see you guys here. Great to be here with you. My name's Jordan. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, specifically the youth pastor. I work with 5th through 12th graders, so I have the best job here on staff, which is pretty awesome. Um, but we are in the middle of our vision series, and this is like the halfway point, basically. Uh, this is week three, and uh, just to go back to last week really quick, Luke did an, just an amazing job, an incredible serv- uh, sermon. Re- yeah, we, let's clap for Luke if you... Uh... And if you haven't heard that message, I mean, I just can't recommend enough that you really go back and, and check that out. It really lays this foundation specifically around this word apprenticeship, which is kind of a synonym for discipleship, but it's kind of like a fresh word for our, our context. Because, I mean, I've grown up hearing this word discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. And sometimes you just hear a word so many times you just lose its meaning. And um, the first time that I heard someone say apprenticeship to Jesus, I was like, oh, am I really like viewing my life that way? And Luke had this uh, wonderful triangle. Could you throw that up for me, Estella? This, this triangle of what it looks like to be an apprentice to Jesus. It's someone who, who is with Jesus, someone who becomes like Jesus, and someone who does what Jesus did. And uh, so that like really like lays this foundation for what we're doing in this vision series and what we feel like uh, the Lord's inviting us as a body into over the next like season of time. Um, so today, my message for you, uh, if you're into titles, it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful, so hang with me here, but it'll be on the screen. Where it's resist extreme individualism and embrace Jesus's vision for community. Resist extreme individualism, embrace Jesus's vision for community. So every message in this series has this kind of rhythm of resist and embrace. And as we apprentice under Jesus, as we're with him, as we're becoming more like him, and as we're stepping out and doing the things that he did, uh, we're going to face like resistance in culture. Like it, it requires us to go against the grain of what is normative. And um, that's going to require, as we face resistance, that requires resistance on our part. That we push back against uh, norms and narratives and idols of the culture. Because uh, in many cases, you cannot both embrace cultural norms and embrace Jesus's way. So as we embrace Jesus' way, it's going to require some pushback on our, on our part. And so this week, we're, we're talking about individualism and, and community. And um, individualism is like, I mean, it's like a defining trait for Americans. Like, this is like our number one value in, in many cases. Uh, just a quick definition for individualism. It's, it's the habit or principle of being independent and self-reliant. So it is like entirely self-focused. Um, it's, it's a very me first mentality or independence over everything. And like, as like a side, we might say like, oh, well, you know, that, that is everybody focused because everybody should focus on themselves. But it's like, it's me first and then how it impacts others second. 
And within this like mindset, it, it's way more concerned with personal freedoms and values and comfort than that of the whole in, in whatever context. And, and in American culture, and uh, we really saw this play out in recent years during the, the pandemic, right? Uh, I, I really don't want to get like super divisive here or like step on toes too early here in this message, but I mean, we saw this with the mask versus no mask thing, right? You know, there was, there was this no mask group, which I like liked to bounce in and out of <laughs> over the course of two years <laughs> that uh, was just very focused on like, you can't tell me what to do. You know, you're violating my rights. And, and you know, government and whatever else aside, wacky rules and regulate, you know, what, like, let's just like throw all that aside. And like at the base of what was happening, like it really highlights this individualism in our culture because there were people that you could be in the same room with and they would feel more comfortable if you would just put a, a cloth over your face. And because it was a hindrance to me, I just want to do it. Like, right? And, uh, and it's an issue that I really wrestled with, uh, especially because more often than not, you know, I fell into that no mask category. Like, I want to have like my way, my comfort, no one can tell me what to do. But as I thought more and more about it, I thought, I bet Jesus probably would have just worn a mask. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. But, <laughs> but then we see this play out within the church, too. Like, this isn't just a culture thing. And it, it comes together with this other cultural narrative that Luke is going to talk about in a couple weeks called consumerism. And um, it produces a selfish, me-focused mentality within the body of Christ. It's this very, I want it my way. Didn't realize I was quoting Frank Sinatra there, but um, kinda. And it turns what is designed to be a body of people into an organizational event that we attend to have spiritual services rendered unto us. You know, we think like, well, that's my seat. That's probably maybe some of the biggest struggle that some of us have had with this one service thing is like, who's sitting in my seat? <laughs> and do I really want to get here five minutes early to claim it? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, worship wasn't good this week because we didn't play my favorite song. Or, you know, I just like, how are my, are my needs getting met here? You know, like, I, I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, like, I left the church because they just weren't feeding me. You know, I'm, I'm looking for a better fit, a better style, something that really is like, meets what I want, something that's all, more about me. I really like it when church is about me. And then we, like, leave and we don't tell anyone, because it's like, well, it's none of their business, it's my business. 
And individualism within the church and, and in culture, it, it excludes the input of others. You know, like we might go for advice, but if we don't like what we hear, we just throw it away and like, oh, they don't, they don't know my circumstance. They don't understand my situation. They don't know how I feel. And, and uh, it also creates this unhealthy isolation with, uh, within us that, that's frankly killing us. You know, it makes us believe my problems are my problems. And so I can't bother anybody else with it. It's no one else's business, and I don't want to burden others with them. And so I'm going to deal with this alone. I'm going to power through it, willpower my way through it, because I'm independent. And we think, I can solve it on my own. And, and even if I wanted help, I bet no one else would want to help me because they think the same way I do. And it all reminds me of this uh, like kind of leadership axiom that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And individualism is leading us fast into a plethora of problems. As we see independence increase in our lives, that naturally means in, or interdependence will decrease. Um, but actually interdependence is a foundational, um, not, just, not just foundational to Christian community, but, but to life with Jesus. I mean, literally, that it, like, to say I believe in Jesus is to say I believe I can't do it on my own. And as we've seen individualism increase in culture, there's been um, a massive decrease in community, not just in the church, but in most, if not all, like historic forms of public community where whether it's church or like the Elks Lodge or like a bowling league, like all these things are down. Any place that requires a high level of personal commitment to another group of people, like these things are just like crazy low, lowest of all time. And this in itself is directly, I think, tied to major increases in loneliness. And to rip some stats just straight from another pastor's message on this topic, um, here's some things on loneliness. First, rates of loneliness have doubled in America since the 1980s. 35% of Americans today report to believe that they're chronically lonely. 25% of Americans today say they have zero confidants. In 1984, the average American had three. So a quarter, probably a quarter of this room feels like there's not one person in their life that they can go to with sensitive personal information that they can trust to receive them um, and, and, and get prayer or, or whatever they're looking for, guidance. One study shows that loneliness is worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day it can have a greater impact on your lifespan than obesity. And it greatly impacts things like anxiety and depression. And as a youth pastor, like, I mean, I see this firsthand. Gen Z is the loneliest generation of all time, and, but they're the most connected. And so for anyone here that this really like might hit home with you in any kind of way, I've, I've got good news for you today because Jesus offers a better way. 
than what culture is saying to us. The psalmist writes, God sets the lonely in families. And so if you're someone who feels disconnected or lonely uh, and you just don't really know what to do, you're in a great place because God wants to put you in a family. So as we look at the, the life and example of Jesus, you simply cannot separate community from everything that he did. Like the entire story is built with this backdrop of community. The, you know, it's like built around this guy, Jesus, and he starts by like gathering people to himself. And he's teaching them the ways of the kingdom of God. And, you know, he doesn't just invite them to come attend a Sunday service or a conference or a seminar or, you know, just show up once a week to hear my teaching. But he says, come follow me, come live with me, come do what I do. See like what I'm doing in the in-between times and, and eat meals with me. And, and he just invites them into his entire life. And as we look at the New Testament, um, we see community as like a, a massively important thing. You know, Jesus himself lived in community. I just said that. But then also just like in his teaching, he said like really radical things. There's this one story where he's like eating a meal and there's this crowd around him and his mom and his brothers are trying to get to him and, and someone says, hey, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus stops and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And, and he says, it's these people sitting here with me. He says, here are my mother and brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he takes his community very seriously that he would put them at like this this place of such close connection that it's like we might as well be blood-related. When, when Jesus sends out his apprentices first in 12 and then 72 on missionary journeys, he doesn't just say like, all right, each of you go to a town. He sends them in pairs. He sends them in like many communities together to go and continue um, his work and to go where he's, where he's headed in front of them or where he's headed after them. But then throughout the New Testament, we just see this wide use of familial language, like mother, father, brother, sister, um, sons and daughters. And, and even in verses that I think we often read for us as individuals, he's actually often speaking to a group at large. For instance, one of my favorite passages is John 15. The I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? And, and you know, abide in me, you can do nothing apart from me. Well, as you like, like I read that like Jesus is a vine, I'm a branch. Sweet, right? But what he actually says is he says, I am the vine and you, y'all, you all are the branches. Right? Like he's not just speaking to our individual experience, but that communally, we make up this plant that is connected to him. The, like, I mean, the, maybe the most obvious one, the church is called the body of Christ. And like, literally, it's like Jesus is the head, and anyone who follows him is the body. Like this image that we are all like one. In Romans 12, four to five, he says, or the Apostle Paul says, for as, one, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. 
And I, I love this, this line there at the end, individually members of one another. That like, because being an individual is not a bad thing. Having your own personal preferences and, and strengths and weaknesses and, and talents and, and whatever, like those are important. God gave those things to you. But it's not meant to be self-focused or, or just self-fulfilling, just making a way for yourself. I think it's more about where we point these gifts. That I, I love, it's like he's saying, we're called to be individuals together. Similar passage from 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Like there's this like, interconnectivity required for us to function as a whole, that we can't do it alone. It, you know, like a finger can only function as a finger because it's attached to the hand and all the muscles and tendons and, and all that together. Together is where we find our greatest meaning our, and experience our greatest growth and where we have the place to use our abilities to the greatest measure that they're created for. You know, the individual is crucial. But perhaps we have overemphasized the me within the greater we. And this human need for commun community and connection is literally woven into the fabric of creation. You know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we had the Moral Revolution weekend, and, and Cole Zick talked about this passage where it says, it's not good for man to be alone. And directly, it's like, we would say, well, you know, like he creates Eve who becomes his wife and like we use that as like a marriage passage. But um, I don't think that this is actually speaking to like every human should get married, but rather every human needs other humans. And you know, you hear this thing in the church like, well, God's enough for me. And Cole emphatically stated, God didn't even think God was enough for you. So I want to spend just a minute here just talking about some misconceptions about community or, or what community is not. Um, we've got a list here. So community is not just, first, connection. It's not just people that you feel a friendship with um, or converse with. You know, I just said a minute ago, Gen Z is the most connected generation of all time. I mean, literally, like, can have access to any number of people in like an instant, and they're like professionals at it. Yet they're the loneliest generation of all time. So connectivity does not equal community. It's more about who you're sharing your life with. You, know, you can be friends or acquaintances with someone, but that doesn't necessarily automatically make them part of your community. There's like a regional requirement for community. Like you can be friends with, I can be friends with someone in California, but that doesn't make them part of my community. Next one's chemistry. It's not just who you get along with or feel a spark with. You know, it's not like just your best friend. You know, if you look at the 12 apostles who Jesus called to follow him, like at the closest level, probably like literally like the core community that started this whole thing, it looked more like a reality show than it did a band of brothers. Right? Like, I mean... There are so many ways that you can divide them up. They're even divided up like as they're described, like there's a zealot 
and there's a tax collector, there's blue-collar workers, there's sons of a business owner, there's brothers. I mean, that can just be like a problem in itself sometimes. There's wealthy, not wealthy. Um, to just like really highlight one, like the difference between a, like a zealot and a tax collector, like, I mean, they are extremes on opposite ends. Like a zealot is like, um, was like a political protester who was like, seeking to undermine the Roman government and um, by any means necessary, including violence and, and like guerrilla warfare kind of stuff. And then a tax collector was just like a traitor to their people who were just like, all right, Rome, just pay me. And, and totally just like gave up everything just to, to make money, essentially. And I mean, like, these guys had to sleep near each other. You know, like, like, that's who Jesus called to become, like, our primary example of what community looks like. The next one is, uh, um, it's not just scheduled. You know, a lot of times we call the Sunday gathering here community. But, like, really, like, me standing here talking at you for 30 or 40 minutes is not, like, community. It can produce community, like, Yes, there's communal aspects of this, but whether it's, it's Sunday gathering or a house group or a small group or whatever, like those things are part of it, but they're not all of it. You know, community is more about a life that's lived together, and we don't get to pick and choose the dosage. You know, like it, it becomes very event-driven when it's me-focused. Like, well, I can just not go to group tonight because I just like need some me time some space or whatever, which like, I mean, that's important sometimes. Like, yeah, okay. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But like community is more defined by what we do outside of the scheduled gatherings than it is what we do within them. And the last thing is it's not just personal. It's not just your ideal group of people focused on meeting your personal needs. It's it's for the sake of the body, so that we grow together, that we become more like Jesus together. Um, I probably most struggle with this one because I'm very acquainted with my need. And I'm less, like it, it costs me something to understand your need. When I'm walking around like, somebody just meet mine, right? It's, I'm very individual, individualistic. In, uh, in Philippians, uh, Paul writes this verse where he says, value, above, value each other above yourself. And one commentator, I, I just really loved what he had to say. He said, the beautiful thing about this is that if I value you and you value me, then we, we have a place where everyone is valuable and honored and no one is looked down upon or left out. And it's totally beautiful when these things all like come together, but ultimately there's just like one thing that actually like sets the groundwork for Christian community and that's Jesus Christ. You know, his life, his death, his resurrection, his, his ascension and his pouring out of the Holy Spirit on us. It's, that is the only connection or chemistry or, or bond that is required for, for fellowship among believers. It's the only commonality that's required. Recently, I had a really interesting experience with um, bond, like a bond in Christ. Um, to give a little bit of context, um, 
You know, in my life, my, my biological father was not very present in my life growing up. And uh, as an adult now, over the last six or seven years, I've, I've really kind of like tried to see like what does a relationship look like between the two of us. And, and with that, I'm like kind of meeting people I didn't know existed. And uh, kind of like family members that um, I've never met before, haven't really spent a lot of time with. And um, recently, I... I met my great-grandfather for like the third time in my life. And it was at his 90th birthday party. And I mean, like, I am so distant and disconnected with this family as a whole that we like, we're at this birthday party and like there's like all these tables, we're at a pizza restaurant and my daughter just goes and sits at a table and I mean, it's like 20 minutes later that I find out the people that she's sitting with aren't actually related to us. They just happened to be sitting where we were having a party. Right? Okay, yeah. So, in this party, it was so awkward. Like, I just felt so weird. Like, I, I mean, I just feel like a black sheep among these people most of the time. And, um, you know, like, wasn't really talking to many people. Like, had, you know, said hi to folks and, and whatever. Uh, but at one point, my great-grandfather came up to me, and he said, so I hear you're a preacher. I was like, you never know where that one's going to go. <laughs> That's usually what I say on the plane when I don't want to talk to the person next to me. Um, but then he asked me this question that nobody on I mean, really, in any sphere of my family or, or, or friendships have really ever asked me. And he said, um, how did you come to know Christ? And I kind of like lit up. And I, and I shared this story with him about how I came to know Jesus. And then I asked him, how did you come to know Christ? And he shared the story with me. And, and I mean, it was, it was really awesome. It was this like three to five minute conversation. Um, and this like, that moment, it was like finding an oasis in the desert. Where like, I just feel like an alien. And like, I look different and sound different and think different than everybody else around me. But man, this like one guy who I've hardly ever met, five minutes of total conversation in my life. I just felt bonded to in like an instant because we have this commonality in Christ Jesus. It transcended generation and life circumstance and, and time spent together because there were several people in that room that I've spent hours with but didn't feel as comfortable around as with him. Now, in the Bible, the word for community or fellowship is this Greek word uh, koinonia, and uh, it, it's pretty directly translated sometimes as like fellowship or association, community. But then there's like these like way more like kind of intimate ways of describing it like communion or joint partnership, intimacy. Uh, one preacher points out that there's really not a one-for-one -one English word to represent koinonia. And he says the word means an intimate sharing of oneself with another. And we see this word used uh, to describe community, and I'll get there in a second, but also one example is in 2 Corinthians 6.14 when Paul is asked, or Paul asks, 
What communion has light with darkness? And that word communion is, is koinonia, this like joining together. Like it's not just like this thing that you can come and go from, but it's something that you are connected to. This word, it carries a stronger sense of commitment than our modern understanding of the word community. Uh, Van did a little word study for me this week, and he, he, he said the Greek concept of koinonia is that they held a high value for the individual and individual rights, along with a high value and strong sense of duty to the community. And we often view community as this thing that we can come and go from and pick and choose when we want it and how much we want it and like, is it at arm's length or, or, or whatnot, but, but that's just not Jesus' vision for community. It's more of an interdependent commitment to one another. You know, this word, it shows up in Acts 2.42 to 47, probably, I mean, one of the, I'm sure one of the most quoted passages on community and uh, about describing the early church, and it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That's that word koinonia there. And, and so you see right here, they have this, they give themselves over to both this like personal growth and instruction, the teaching of the apostles, and commitment to one another. And, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And that word common there has the root word for koinonia in it. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, they, as any had need. So they're together. They have this commonality. Every, everything is, is shared among each other. They're, they're, they're meeting each other's needs when they arise. Because like in this context, there's probably people that gave their lives to Jesus that were from out of town, but like stayed for like a, a period of time um, to kind of like get this thing, to understand it, to learn it. And so like they, you know, they're, they're away from their job longer than expected. They, they probably didn't bring as much provision as they thought they would need. And so there's this like meeting of each other's needs that happens. And we can tangibly do this today. Like th there are people that do this, crazy, insane people that like meet each other's needs. It's such a weird concept. Uh, a friend of mine, another youth pastor, he's in this small group. And he said that they, when they started their group, they just decided like, we're just going to try to follow that passage as, close as, as closely as we can. And he said at one of their meetings, someone just brought up like a financial need that they had, that they were really struggling with this debt, that they've been like working really hard to pay off, but they just like weren't able to get ahead of it. And someone in the group was like, well, what's your Venmo? And like the whole group just sent this person money and they were able to just like pay off this debt that they'd been wrestling with and, and couldn't get through. Um, and like, it's like that's a real, that we can do that. That's legal. But like, doesn't that just feel so weird? Like in this individualistic culture, like well, that's their fault. They took out the debt. Why they do, you know, like, it's like, I don't know. It's just blowing my mind. <laughs> um, but also like we can meet each other's needs and like, you know, emotionally and, and just in help in life, like guidance and input. There's, there's a proverb that says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know, as we invite people into our lives, like we're, we're going to do better than on our own. Um, so let's just define Christian community really quick. And, and here's what I've come up with. Christian community is a group of interdependent individuals 
sharing life together. A group of interdependent individuals sharing life together. So to just break it down, interdependent means that we're relying upon one another. That we're not, like the goal is not to be self-reliant, inward-facing, self-focused, I'm going to like achieve all of my dreams and goals on my own, but that we're actually thinking of others. That we're participating in others' lives and allowing them to participate in ours. Um, In Galatians 6, it, it lays out this thing where it says, bear one another's burdens. So there's this like partnership that we're supposed to have with each other, helping each other through life. But then the next word, individuals. We're interdependent individuals. So like we are still a singular person. We are like our own unit with our own personality and and needs and abilities and and whatnot. Um, And on some degree, we're responsible for our own life. You know, Galatians Galatians 6, when it continues on, it says, each will have to bear his own load. And, what and the difference between these two words, there's this sense of like, load is like the things that like, um, it was like a word used for a soldier's backpack. It's like the things that you just carry in life that you're meant to, to carry, like your responsibility as a father or a mother or um, as, a, as, a, um, as an employee or you know, wherever it is, like things that you're meant to bear on your own. But then there are like these burdens that come up in life. A sudden death, sudden loss of income, um, sudden illness or, or, or some point of pain that it's just too much for us to carry on our own. And that's where our community is meant to come in. And this like ownership of my own thing, but also a sharing of the things that I can't totally carry on my own. And as I'm carrying my stuff, I'm also helping you carry your stuff. And it's like this, this just beautiful partnership. And then sharing life. It's not just on a surface level. Um, excuse me, but it's this intimate sharing of your experience. It's not just like a quick text, how are you? Good, great, glad to hear it. Because like, is anybody ever good when they say they're good? You know, like, it's like first sign you're not doing good, as you said, good. (laughs) But so it's like, it's being uh, open with, with the ups and downs of life sharing our victories and also sharing our struggles and, and pain, not just being surface level. It's, it's getting input on major decisions. You know, when's the last time you, like, moved and you asked someone, hey, what do you think about us moving to a different location? Normally, it's more like, hey, we're moving, right? <laughs> um, it's allowing other people to have influence over your choices and shape how you grow but, ugh, right? Like, can't you just feel how weird that feels as I'm saying it? Like, I wrote it, and it makes me uncomfortable. It's like, this is my life and my decisions, and I'm trying to resist this individualism because it's not just about me. It's about we. And ultimately, Christian community is a picture of heavenly future. It is a practicing of the kingdom of God now. In the same way that when we, we view healing within the kingdom worldview, that, that it's like we're reaching into the what is not yet, the future, the, the age to come where all tears are wiped away, all pain is gone, and we're saying come now and, and seeing it happen right now. It's the same way when we are together 
in community. Like we're, we're reaching into the future picture of kingdom fulfillment and making it a present day reality. More than just an organization, more than scheduled time together, Jesus is creating a kingdom family. This is ultimately his vision for community. In, in Luke chapter 18, verses 29 to 30, it goes like this. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. You know, I know that there are many of you in this room who would probably identify as a first-generation believer, where in, like, your family line, you can't say, oh, I learned how to be a Christian because of my dad. Or we grew up going to church. Um, and, and there's others of you that can say that. And, you know, so many places in between. But one of the amazing things about being a follower of Jesus and, and the family that he's building for himself is that we get to be the fulfillment of his promises to each other. Because following him means to resist what is happening around us. It means to resist the narratives of the world. We can't exactly like leave our biological families in, in most cases, um, but we can like choose for ourselves this new family that God's building. Because um, it costs a lot to follow Jesus. And it's hard to do that when others around you aren't. And that, that's one of these designs for, for Christian community. But I want to just, I'm going to end here quickly, I promise. But um, I want to talk about the cost of community for a moment. Because it's not just this thing that like is free and easy and you just like show up to it. But the first is that it costs your time. You know, there's like a, a saying that like, you know, show me your bank account and I'll show you who your God is. I think you can say a really similar thing with time. Your, our time, how we spend this resource, really demonstrates our highest value. The things that we care about the most are where we're going to be investing our time. And um, I think a lot of times Christian community gets put on the back burner for that. Or like, well, if we can make it, we'll come to that. Because um, we just fill so much space, uh, so much of our time with just stuff. I just clicked the top of my uh, page, so I just lost where I was, but that's okay. Uh, the second thing is vulnerability. We have to be the real us in order to actually participate in community. It can't just be surface level. It, I mean, like, as a, like a pastor who, like, seems like they're supposed to have it all together. This one's really hard because no matter how many times I'm like, I believe that it's okay for me to not have it together, I still know that like, well, every week I have to like be an example to teenagers and, and all this stuff. And, and so, I mean, that, that can be a challenge to be the real authentic you, to share like your victories and your, your, your weakness. And the last thing is commitment or sacrifice. Um... Community, like, needs to take a front seat position in your life where it becomes a priority 
like, um, like among the top priorities. Like if we're wanting to become more like Jesus, pretty much all we see is Jesus in community or leaving it briefly to come back to it. <laughs> like, um, he is just always with people. And I'm not saying that like, well, you know, just everybody, let's all move in together and we'll buy a, a little bit of land out there. And that's weird, that's a cult. Um, <laughs> unless you do that, then it's great. <laughs> Good for you. You never know with some of these homeschool families around here. All right, well, <laughs> that's why you should stick to your notes. I love homeschoolers a lot. Homeschool high five. Okay, anyway. Um, I'll just end with this little thing here. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says this about community. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. So Christian community, is, it is a beautiful gift from the Father. Like, <laughs> it's a family that we're all welcomed into, that we all get to, to take part in, that we all can find significance in, where nobody's supposed to get left behind, or everybody's welcome. And sometimes, like, we've just kind of, like, walked all over that. And we've made it about ourselves, but, but let's embrace this, this beautiful gift from the Father, this gift of, of life together. So will you stand with me? I'm going to pray just for a second, and, and Wilson's going to come give us some instruction. But Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here, and, and we love you. Just thank you for, for what you're doing today. Would you just, uh, whatever it is that you need us to hear and to latch on to, would you just let that take root in our hearts? And Lord, just for anybody that feels lonely or disconnected, we just pray for your peace and comfort to come over them, that they would um, find their people here. And for where we haven't been a good people to each other, would you just convict us and, and move us more in that direction, help us take our next step in loving each other well. In Jesus' name, amen.